Hey friend, welcome to part two of are you eating intuitively or impulsively? Now, if you did not tune in last week, I just got to tell you, pause right now and go start with last week's interview because you want to start from the beginning. You are sitting in on a super juicy conversation between me and two of my favorite colleagues, Dr. Erica Castleberry, who's a psychologist I've been working with for years, and licensed mental health counselor, Christopher Guider, who has his PhD in English literature. So we are going to pick up right where we left off. But just before we jump in, I want to let you know that this conversation brings up a lot of questions and there are resources for you guys. So if you want to learn more about empowered eating, you can do so at my website, justbrownrd.com. You can learn all about my empowered eating method, which is essentially taking what I find are the best parts of intuitive eating and then layering them on top of your values and the kind of person you want to be. So you can set intentional health goals and take those next steps. Dr. Castleberry and Chris also have resources available to you. You guys can find their Mental Health Break YouTube channel in the links below in the show notes. All right, let's dive right in. Hey, I am Jess and I'm obsessed with all things nutrition, science, and helping you navigate this information while maintaining a deep sense of peace and empowerment in your body. I'm a registered dietitian who started out with an eating disorder and then fell in love with learning about how God intricately designed our bodies to be resilient and so much more than superficially beautiful. I am now a mama who loves to be healthy, not because of how it makes me look, but because of how it has transformed the energy I can give to my family, my friends, and you. On this show, we hit on real talk around the latest nutrition science and body image resiliency, all while balancing it between grit and grace. Think of this as your weekly audio coffee to encourage your empowered eating journey. This is the Fuel Her Awesome podcast. So one of the things I always say and where I actually, I think I really started to struggle with this is when I was early in my intuitive eating days and that was the main discussion I had with clients, I suddenly realized like, well, this is easy for me to say. I do fit the thin ideal. I mean, I'm just a naturally petite person. And, you know, that's something that intuitive eating would label as thin privilege, which I do think that is something that is in existence. Like I have that body type. But for me to say, you have to accept your body, and while you live in the same world I live in, I don't think that's fair for me to say. 
I do think that's a difficult part of it because I have clients say to me, you know, I, I they'll say maybe you've never been in a really obese body, but when I was, you know, X number of pounds, uh, I was treated differently. You know, I, I was judged. I, I really faced a lot of discrimination. And so I do think that raises this idea of privilege. Um, thin privilege, you know, one part of it. And there's another issue with privilege that kinds of that kind of comes up, right? And Chris, you were kind of sharing with us earlier about food insecurity. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Yeah, I was interested to come across some studies that looked at food insecurity um, in the home environment. So people growing up where food wasn't readily available. And those studies showed that um, it was much more difficult to do intuitive eating uh, if food is not readily available for you or was not readily available in your formative years. So that's a, another part of the privilege, right? That those who might be able to do this uh, practice more easily might have had uh, probably more supportive environments where there was more abundance, there was the luxury of kind of deciding what they wanted to eat instead of just whatever might have been available. And that actually kind of makes me think about this idea of intergenerational trauma. So through most of human history, food scarcity has actually been a big problem. And it's only been within recent decades that we've really, to the great extent, solved hunger as an issue for, for the vast majority of people, at least in the Western world, right? Well, I do think we probably have, because of intergenerational trauma and this history of famine and food insecurity, I think a lot of people have almost this like instinctual drive to eat when food is present. Absolutely. Because you may never know when you could eat again. And I think we can kind of even see this show up sometimes for animals. You know, I think, I think dogs, especially if they've been feral, you know, if you watch them eat, they are going to devour whatever they can get whenever they can get it because there are survival instincts kind of at play too. And, I, you know, what do we do with that piece of it? Right? I'm so glad to hear you guys say that because so many people, I think, feel like they're doing it wrong or they can't eat intuitively when really it's what you guys are saying. It, it's actually scientifically proven. It's been proven that you're much less likely to be able to eat intuitively if you have some of this history of food insecurity. And like you said, I mean, the Great Depression was not that long it wasn't ago. wasn't that long ago. And how many people learned in that time, children that were raised by people that lived through the Great Depression, depression sorry, uh, clean your plate. Finish right? your plate. Yep. You the finish your plate yeah. mentality. And there may also be um, kind of a genetic privilege where some people, and you've probably seen this in your work, they are just a lot hungrier a lot more mm -hmm. of the time. So it's a genuine hunger cue that mm -hmm. they're having. But for them, that may be more difficult to sate than for another person for reasons that are not really fully under their control. And I think the science is still evolving here. You know, we're in the dark, I think, with some of this, but we know there's over like 400 genes that um, contribute to our ability to regulate our metabolism and our and our appetites. And so there's a lot going on here. And I, I guess the, the takeaway for me with this is like, if you can do intuitive eating, great. Um, but if, it, if you struggle with it, you need to also give yourself grace for that and not beat yourself up on the other side of it. Because we don't want to replace one rigid system, which is diet culture, with a different rigid system, right? Because we've got to recognize not all people are going to be able to do this well all of the time. That's a really good point. Sometimes in reading through the intuitive eating approach, there is kind of a dogmatic element where, for example, any external source or view or, or, or approach towards food or plan is kind of 
put under the heading of the evil diet culture. Mm -hmm. And I just think that's unhelpful and untrue to reduce all of that to that one way of looking at it. Absolutely. Well, this is why I've decided not to put anti-diet dietitian on my website or my Instagram profile because I don't feel like I can fall under that. I, I can't, Chris, you said this before, I can't paint all food with the same paintbrush and say everything you know healthy is diet culture. And there's this saying, I, th- I think it's a meme that says diet culture doesn't own a salad where, you know, some of these things that people do as healthy, it, it doesn't, it doesn't always mean they're in diet culture. So I'm curious, how do you guys reconcile this idea of intuitive eating and eating with the flow and the hunger and satiety cues? And what if you do have a health goal? Like what if you're like me, if you relate when I had my kid and I said, okay, I need to start eating more intentionally. I would like to feel better. You know, how did you guys reconcile that? Because it took me a while to to come to a, an okay space about that. And I think a lot of it was because of what you're saying, Chris, the dogmatic approach that is in this narrative around intuitive eating. Right. Um, yeah, I feel that the approach can be very dogmatic when it can induce a little bit of guilt if we want to look external to uh, those internal cues to get guidance on ways we can eat to promote a certain goal. And I think like one way I approach that is intuition is great. I like that intuitive eating is putting us in touch with that as a force to guide eating, but we also have minds, right? And that's a good thing to bring on board too. And granted, it's perhaps harder and more complex to, okay, I've now got intuition, those internal cues, here's kind of the knowledge that I have or what some of the experts are saying. How do I bring those two together in a kind of healthy way to guide a decision? But I do think a lot of people want to take that that dual approach on. Mm-hmm. For me, um, and that's those are all really good points, Chris, I think I do try to really always honor my hunger. So if I notice an urge to eat, I kind of pause a moment, at least when I can, you know, if I'm not running all over the place, and and ask myself if I'm really hungry. And so if the answer is yes, but then you have a decision to make, because you're going to eat if the answer is yes, you're hungry. Well, what are you going to eat? And that's where I I think it's okay. It's where I try to prioritize highly nutritious foods, you know. And so I'm, I'm thinking through about what I know about nutrition but also, you know, what else I've eaten recently. Maybe I, I feel like I need some more protein. So the hunger is really guiding this desire to eat and, um, and and allowing myself to eat, but really trying to prioritize certain foods over others, although they're not forbidden. If I want, you know, I often do have some sweet things during the day after a meal because it signals the end of a meal. It's delicious. It's pleasurable. I don't feel guilty about any of that. But I am aware that, you know, I need a certain number of veggies and fruits and <laughs> yeah. I need certain fats and I need certain proteins. And I don't think it's bad at all to, to include that in. Um, because as Chris so eloquently pointed out, we're not just intuitive physical beings. We're, we also have cognition. We have minds. Mm-hmm. And so I think the best approach somewhere weds the two of those together and honors the body, but also honors what we know we need yeah. cognitively. One of the things I love that you say is there aren't good or bad foods, but there are more nutritious foods. Right. <laughs> and so pulling right. the mind in to say, okay, what what food is actually going to serve me well for this purpose? And that's where I, I really like the empowered approach, which is balancing, like, okay, what is the purpose of eating right now? Well, is the purpose, like, Chris, you talked about community and connection, then I might choose something that maybe isn't not as nutritious because that's the the context of that fuel. Or if it's my lunch hour and I'm by myself and I have to show up for the next four hours at work and be present, I, I 
definitely want to choose a more nutritious food because that's going to be more in alignment with my values. Yeah, what's going to fuel you to mm-hmm. get through your afternoon and help you feel energetic mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, like I think we've all had that experience. We had something really high in sugar or something and it felt great for a moment and then you get this crash <laughs> yeah. later. And so hopefully, and I, I think there is room for this in the intuitive eating approach, but you're learning from your own experience as well. But it's, there's nothing wrong with cognitively pausing and drawing upon that. You can have your own internal rules. I think the point should be that you as a person are kind of in the driver's seat of this and it's not always being dictated to you by some kind of vague cultural stance on on what looks good and what you should do with Mm -hmm. food. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good way of putting it. And you know, with intuitive eating, it does often reduce it to either indulge what you're wanting to eat or you're doing restriction, which is a bad thing, right? But if we think about what Erica said, no, that's actually not what we're just now talking Mm -hmm. about. We're saying honor the impulse, I'm hungry, I'm gonna eat Mm -hmm. if I'm really hungry, but I'm gonna channel that hunger based on my values, based on my needs, based on my preferences, based on my nutritional knowledge. And so that step is often kind of edited out of, of intuitive eating and partly because that's a difficult move for people to make before they've kind of liberated themselves from all this shame and guilt that we're talking about, which is why the gentle nutrition section of intuitive eating is last and kind of optional. Mm -hmm. Um, But really that might be where some people start, right? Right. Makes a lot of sense. It reminds me of some things we've talked about in our, our discussions leading up to this recording, and that's the actual definition of restriction. And I think you bring a really good, great point, Chris, that it's either you're eating intuitively or you're restricting. And I've heard people say things like, well, I don't want to not have the cookie because then I'm restricting. And so, Erica, will you share your definition of restricting? Yeah, I think of restricting, I mean, the best definition is you're not eating enough calories or, or variety of foods to meet your health needs, right, to meet your required needs. It could also, the other definition you could use is that you're intentionally creating a calorie deficit, right, mm-hmm. which is really par- part of the big definition of diet culture always needing to be creating a a calorie deficit. But I think restrictions really different from this idea of self-restraint, right? Mm -hmm. I can be practiced intuitive eating um, and say, you know what? I don't really think that I need to to eat more right now. I think that might be for emotional reasons or I don't think I'm going to feel good later if I Mm -hmm. keep going. Maybe you're not even fully in touch with satiety. Maybe you just kind of have this other experience or wisdom that you just want to have some restraint. Yeah, yeah, it makes me think, so I think there's a very clear difference between the act of discipline and the act of obsession. And when we're like operating in diet culture world, there's obsession about the rules, I have to do it a right and wrong way, or I have to do it right way, not a wrong way. Whereas if we're operating in discipline, that might involve some self-restraint in some ways. That's exactly, true. and that's where the kind of the, the unconditional permission to eat actually really breaks down, even based on the own rules of intuitive eating, because actually it is conditional. Yeah. If you might still want to eat, but wait, I'm full, so, I've got to go through the friction of resisting that impulse or, oh, it's an emotional need that really I don't want to use Mm -hmm. food to satisfy. Well, then I've got to make some other, come up with some other strategy. So it doesn't free us from the self-restraint part, unfortunately. Right, because I think, you know, and sometimes people in the lay community might confuse us, but intuitive eating is hopefully is not promoting binge eating, right? It's not promoting hedonism to just give yourself any and all permission to kind of go nuts. It sounds like that with the unconditional permission to eat, right? But you really are supposed to be listening to the physical cues. And when people eat that way, for mostly for physical needs, for their hunger, um, they do pretty well with it. Yeah. What I think has been really helpful is to help people break down and identify what season they're in. And I call it like the seasons of empowered eating. So like I think initially we have to heal. We have to do 
like the healing work with diet culture, our body image, we have to reject some of those rules. Like I know one of the first steps in the intuitive eating program is reject the diet mentality. And I think that is the healing phase and so powerful. And then we might have an explore phase where we start to explore foods. Like if I do eat the cookie, how do I feel? And coming at it from a neutral standpoint. And at that point, like we talked earlier, like the pendulum might swing a little bit. We might go from eating no cookies to a lot of cookies. But then at some point, and this is where like the intuitive eating drops it in the 10th principle and says gentle nutrition. But one of the things I think they're missing is this idea that we can heal, we can explore, and then we can go back to a focus season. We can, we can use our brains, our prefrontal cortex, decide to set an intentional health goal and take care of our body in a way that is in alignment with the kind of person we want to be. Absolutely. And I think part of what intuitive eating, the gift of it is it's, it is a simplification. It gets you away from all of those rules and external mm-hmm. considerations, but therein is perhaps also a weakness because at some point, as you point out, many people would benefit from somehow engaging with external goals and seeing what experts yeah. have to say about it. And that is, can be a tricky thing to do. So how do you guys know when a client's ready to like make that shift? Like they've done the healing work and now it's time to go to a more intentional eating plan. For me, it's when it really is driven a lot by the client kind of recognizing that they're ready. But certainly, you know, if, if they've been stable with their relationship with food and there's not a lot of crazy ups and downs happening, mm-hmm. um, and maybe they're just noticing they're not feeling so good physically, you know, we might say, okay, well, let's let's look at that yeah. piece again. And what could we, you know, like, are you really following good nutritional principles? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a tweak that could happen that could help you feel better. Yeah. I think another thing to look out for is if we're looking at a lot of external rules, it's easy to become very obsessive about that, where if you're looking for that perfect way to eat that's, you know, validated by everyone, well, you're probably not going to find it. And Mm -hmm. that can promote a certain obsessiveness that really is anxiety producing. So we have to kind of work on that or get away from that before I think we can healthily engage with those ideas. I think another downfall of this approach is it's also still kind of like a one-size-fits-all approach, right, that assumes everybody can and should be doing this all of the time. And you and I both know, Jessica, that's not true. When somebody's having to recover from an eating disorder, you know, they can't do intuitive eating. They're going to need a lot of help and support and, and guardrails, right, to keep them from hurting themselves. And there are other times, too, I think people need that kind of support and help yeah. and accountability, maybe, right? Yeah, I'm so glad you said that because I think one of the main drivers for having this conversation is I want to give people grace in this process and know that, like, if they're not eating intuitively, they're not, it's not that they're failing. It actually just may not be a good fit. And there's quite a bit of research showing where it's not a good fit. And eating disorders is one of them. We also know that if somebody's health is in a compromised state, intuitive eating may not be the best approach at that point either. Like intuitive eating really is for someone who is in an emotionally regulated state, is someone who's looking to like make peace with food. And it's really not something that's going to correct a lot of the health comorbidities that may at some point your client may want to look at. And it does beg the question, I have to say, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Right. Right? Because it does seem like, yes, if you're a pretty healthy, fairly privileged individual, um, you probably are eating intuitively. Mm -hmm. If you've had any other kinds of difficulties, can you learn to get there? I think for some people, yes. For some people, maybe it's going to continue to elude them, and that's okay. I don't think they should be shamed for that. Yeah, and that's one thing I've struggled with is I've had folks who say, 
well, Jess, I, I actually do want to understand calories. Is that bad? Jess, I, I do want to eat salads for lunch. Is that bad? You know, it's like they're afraid to start adding some of these educational tools in from like a nutrition science perspective, which, you know, as a dietitian saddens me because yeah. <laughs> that's the fun part to yeah. be able to look at that from a neutral, maybe more like scientific perspective, inquisitive posture. It can be really healing. That's a great point, and we wouldn't want to just look to intuitive eating as the only external mm-hmm. source, because that, that too is a program, mm-hmm. right? And even mm-hmm. if it's encouraging us to look within, it's people telling us to do that. Mm-hmm. And there, there's merit, as we've discussed, but also there's complete understanding for people who want to combine that with some other approach or even go a different direction entirely. Mm-hmm. And so I think one of the takeaways also, as I hear both of you speak about this, um, is that like nutrition information doesn't have to be this big authority in your life. It's just information. It's a tool, right? You can use it to help you make some decisions, but it shouldn't be like these obsessive rules that you're bad if you don't always live up to perfectly. So good. Whether the the perfect is defined as eating a certain way or intuitively, right? Right. Either way, (laughs) Right. right? Well, and that brings me to this next idea, and that's the idea of weight loss and where does it fit in in this conversation. And I know, I think it, I do think it was you, Erica, that shared with me that if you become an, a certified intuitive eating counselor, you have to commit to not supporting weight loss. That's right. I think their platform actually says that it's unethical to ever, ever encourage someone mm-hmm. to lose weight. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in a lot of cases, I would agree with that. But I mean, we can think of exceptions where someone's health and their very life is probably at stake mm-hmm. and they need to make a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great point because they frame it as a weight neutral approach, Mm -hmm. intuitive eating. And the research that I've looked at shows that, you know, some people do lose weight on it, some do not. Mm -hmm. And so really, if you're one of if you're someone who, um, for example, is struggling with obesity and some related health issues, and maybe you've been told by your doctor that urgent action is required along those lines, there's not a lot of um, options offered to you by intuitive eating. In fact, they tend to kind of underplay some of the health consequences of obesity, saying implying that it's been kind of um, overrated. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we know just uh, based on the main bodies of health in our country that obesity is a main driver of chronic illness and that interventions often are required. Yeah, and actually in in the eating disorder, well, not I don't want to say all eating disorder realm, um, in a lot of individuals who are operating under the intuitive eating model, they will not even use the word obesity. I've heard some podcasts where they beep it out like a bad word, and they won't even bill under that that diagnosis to insurance companies. And so I remember when I was beginning my career feeling very conflicted because my original dietetic training was very much in, like embedded in obesity is the number one problem we're trying to fix. And then when I was getting my training as an eating disorder dietitian, it was the exact opposite. I wasn't even allowed to use the word. And so it was very conflicting. (laughs) Yeah. And I think one of the perhaps um, conflations they're making there is on the one hand, you know, they promote body positivity, body acceptance, and they point out how people have been shamed and guilted uh, based on their size, their appearance. And of course, uh, who we, we want to support that. That's important that we hold that line. But that is separate from the fact that objectively, people who may have a certain weight, there may be certain health risk associated with that weight. Mm-hmm. That is an objective truth that sometimes gets swept under the carpet a little. Yeah. I think that, right, the, the medical literature is quite clear that there's 
a litany of health problems associated with obesity, unfortunately. And you know what? As I look through all of the literature, we don't know much about what to do about it. Their bariatric surgery may offer some of these folks, you know, some uh, a life-saving procedure, throw them a lifeline. But, you know, as we looked at that literature on um, how diets fail, like we really kind of have a conundrum here because the the research on the intuitive eating does show that people that do it well, maybe they've done it their whole lives, they probably don't have a real high weight. Mm-hmm. Um, but what about, for some reason, for lots of folks, this gets away from them. Mm-hmm. And then what are they supposed to do if they're already at that point where they are facing obesity? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it puts them in a tough spot. Well, and I've always thought of the mindset that if somebody walks into my office who is underweight and undernourished, I'm pretty aggressive with how I work with them and say, you know, you need to eat more. Here's what's happening in your body. Here's why you need to restore weight. And what's tricky is like I notice I don't do that if someone is in a larger body because I don't want to perpetuate weight stigma and weight shame. And so on the one hand, what I my approach to where I've landed is like, I'm going to let the, it be, this be client-led. If they come yes. to me and they want it, I'm here for it. If they don't, I'm also here for that. You know, I have folks in larger bodies that are – metabolically healthy and have decided that that's how they're going to live. And I am all here for that. Yeah. I've tried to kind of really just focus on behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. Let's get binge eating under control. Let's get you moving. Um, Let's, let's kind of look at nutrition and kind of see what's happening and where can you make some positive changes, but yeah, never, never shaming them or, or me coming from me that I think they need to lose weight. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think, you know, I, I do recognize that some of my clients come in with that and we don't have a whole lot right now. We, we can offer them. Mm -hmm. So that's tricky. That's true. And intuitive eating, they partly justify their approach by observing how ineffective kind of traditional calorie restriction over the long term is mm-hmm. for many people. And that's what Erica was talking about. So it is difficult to know, OK, well, if I need additional assistance, what would that look like? And I think as mental health practitioners, that's one role we can play is mm-hmm. addressing the emotional point. We mm-hmm. talked about that a little, how emotion does drive a lot of eating. And if you have a mental health disorder, you're probably using food to to regulate and so if you could address the mental health disorder that could affect your eating mm-hmm. um, unfortunately though some people will have already developed you know habits um, and then we also know that adipose tissue is not inert it is metabolically active and, mm-hmm. and messes with all of those hormones that you mm-hmm. were kind of saying and so yeah we kind of have a, a conundrum here but right chris is right i think one of the things people can do is they can you know treat like if they have PTSD or depression and that's been a big part of why they're overeating. Certainly, there's a lot they can do there. Well, I think at the end of the day, it's what you guys are both saying is like let the client come in and tell us what they want, right, and how they want to live in our body. And that's one critique I do have of intuitive eating is I don't think they give that to the client. I think they actually are the voice and say like, no, you need to be comfortable, which actually brings me to my next question. I'm so curious how you guys handle this. So what about the folks that are in bodies that are larger than they would like to be themselves, but we don't have the health comorbidity. So there's not really a medical reason for weight loss, but they've decided they would like to lose weight because it would make them feel better. And I'm just kind of curious how you guys navigate that with, yeah, when that presents in your office. That's a great question. Um, What I do is I give them all of the education or the Mm -hmm. knowledge that Mm -hmm. I have, right? I, I talk about how diets do tend to fail, 
Um, I do talk about the risks of, of weight cycling and, mm-hmm. and the obsessions and all of that. I present them with everything, um, and I encourage them to see a dietitian. But really, I let them make a choice. You mm-hmm. know, they sometimes clients, I, and I've even tried to support them. They're like, "Yeah, I'm going to try some to reduce my number of calories, and not greatly, but you mm-hmm. know." And we see what happens, and, and a lot of times they find it doesn't really pan out that well. But we're still making steps towards listening to hunger mm-hmm. and all of that, and incorporating mm-hmm. nutritional information. But along the way, also of course healing the emotional stuff and teaching them emotional regulation skills. Mm-hmm. So I really let them make all of those decisions. I'm not the police of their their lives and their bodies. Um, I do try to encourage them to accept themselves wherever they're starting. But you know they're affected by the thin ideal and all of that as well. And I can't tell them, you know, you just have to give this up. Yeah, I think I like the idea also of um, having a conversation about values. Um, Sometimes it's clarifying when you ask someone to define the, you know, the three or four values that are most important to them currently in their life. And Mm -hmm. whatever goal they want to pursue is is fair game. But we want to check in and make sure that that's promoting their highest values. So that sometimes that's an interesting conversation to have with those clients or really with any client that's taking on a life change. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad to hear you guys say that because I do have folks like come in and I'm the same. I just let them lead the way and I'm here for it with education, right? Like here's what you can expect. Um, And I think one of the most powerful things is to tell them like, this is what weight loss costs. This is what it's going to require of you. And then we say, and how does that line up with your values? Like it's going to cost you not being able to do X, Y, and Z on a Friday night. And is that the kind of person you want to be in this season? And, you know, sometimes they're like, yes, I'm ready. I've neglected this part of my life for a long time and I'm ready. And other times they're like, you know, no, (laughs) I got a new baby or I'm in a new marriage. And the connection, the food connection piece, and that's where the values, I'm glad to hear you both say that. Um, It's so important. It really can drive the bus, I think, in a safer, on a safer path as opposed to like, I just want to lose weight. Yeah, I mostly really try to uh, encourage people to become stable in their relationship with food, right? Like, let's get rid of these binges. Let's get rid Mm -hmm. of these, you know, extreme kinds of behaviors. Let's get you regulated Mm -hmm. and see where that takes you. And then if there's something more you want to address, let's do that. Mm -hmm. But I think people, once they get to that point, something magical can kind of take over, right? They do start to feel better. Uh, and so that is really the true gift and benefit of intuitive eating, but they've discovered it on their own. I didn't like beat them over the head with it. Okay, so we have re- spent a lot of time breaking down the pros of intuitive eating. There's a lot of them, and we've also unpacked a lot of the potential problems. And our, our whole goal in this is not to leave people more confused, right? But right. it's actually to give people this sense of empowerment and understanding that like there is no diet, whether it's in intermittent fasting or intuitive eating, there is no diet that's going to save you. Rather, it is you coming up with your own food philosophy and your own approach to food that is going to be what allows you to live in your healthiest position. And so I'm just kind of curious to, to wrap this up. How can, you know, if somebody were to walk into your office, let, let's start with an easy one. If someone were to walk into your office and say, I would like to start intuitive eating, how would you respond? I would um, get to know them like I do mm-hmm. with every client and kind of see where they're at. And mm-hmm. um, and if it's appropriate, I would encourage them to start exploring that. Mm-hmm. And I would walk on that journey with them. You know, sometimes it's really not appropriate for people. They, if, if a person has anorexia or bulimia, they are going to need a diet plan that they are held accountable to. And that mm-hmm. becomes the work then. Mm-hmm. But if they're um, in a healthy kind of place, 
then yeah, I would do that work with them. Um, if there's some other emotional issue, depression or PTSD that's getting in the way, I would say I would say this is, might be a barrier to you being able to do really good intuitive eating right now. But it's all I think I think the journey is if, if people really can heal themselves, they're doing something that really at least closely approximates intuitive eating. So I, I want to walk that with them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think we've picked a lot of the problems with it but at the core we all agree it's a wonderful practice and it's something that can be very very powerful given the right circumstances and and like I love the conjunction and if and when a more tailored nutrition plan is desired like that's totally appropriate that's too okay no absolutely and I think in addition to what Erica said if clients are interested in intuitive eating and they're generally in a healthy place, but they're still really struggling with a lot of guilt and shame around food, maybe caught in that vicious diet cycle we talked about, those would probably be good candidates to potentially try that, you know, with mm-hmm. the support of a dietitian and, and mental health support as well. Um, but I think also what you were alluding to, presenting alternatives to those who do want to bring on more of the nutrition Mm -hmm. aspect and combine it with something that includes not just honoring an urge to eat, but also asking what serves my values, my goals, my needs, um, my nutritional knowledge. That would be kind of the step that some could be interested in that Exploring. And I think that that can kind of tease work that the three of us will want to be doing as upcoming yeah. work, which is there is probably something beyond intuitive eating. Yeah. I mean, it just gets me so excited because once I was able to heal my relationship with food and come to a more neutral stance and then actually be able to take in the nutrition science from that space of neutrality and curiosity, it was so cool. I mean, I got to play with things like, you know, eating protein stratified throughout the day and see how that made me feel physically, even though, I mean, we're all aging, right? But like that has a huge impact on how I age and learning to have specific supplements that boost my immune system and my energy. We have a lot of really cool, see, I get excited, like nutrition science that can help us, but we, I do think we have to do the healing first. And when it's done, it's okay to go back to some of this. And you bring up a great point, and this makes me think of attachment theory from our field. When a person feels secure and safe, Mm. they start to explore. And isn't that going to be true Mm -hmm. with food as well? So good. Nothing has to be off limits then. But But first you've got to learn how to get safe and heal whatever you need to heal and accept yourself, and then you're probably ready to be on a whole different journey. So good. It's a really good point. And we have mentioned some of their critiques of intuitive eating, but really um, on a positive note, some people in their journey, like that is exactly the right approach for them. And, mm-hmm. and people who are first needing to heal and really liberate themselves from just the constant self-recrimination, um, not accepting um, their bodies as they are, and really never looking inward um, to guide their eating. So that those are very important aspects that I think that supports. Oh, that's so good. Okay, I'd like to wrap up with maybe more of a personal take on this. I'm curious, do you guys eat intuitively? I think that I eat about as intuitively as anyone can, mm-hmm. um, meaning that, yes, I, I really try to... I, respect my hunger and stop when I'm full. That's not perfect, right? Mm -hmm. But I do also incorporate, I know a lot about nutrition, having worked in the eating disorder world. Mm -hmm. Of course, worked with you, Jessica. We've shared a number of clients over the years. I've learned a lot about nutrition. And I think I'd be remiss if I completely ignored it. Mm -hmm. And and I also, what I'm also doing is I'm really aware of my own experience. You know, Mm -hmm. I I know certain foods make me feel better than others. I guess I think they would say that that gets wrapped up into your intuition, Mm -hmm. right? That you've started to just learn 
what to do from a more instinctual place. But I got to say, a lot of learning went into that. So I, I guess what I'm going to say, it's something more like intuitive eating plus. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what, do we need a name or we need to decide what we're going to call this. But yeah, there's definitely those elements in there and how I eat. What about you, Chris? Yeah, I think I, I do a pretty good job of honoring hunger and satiety cues, but where I think I, like Erica, go a little bit beyond uh, conventional intuitive eating is really taking into account a lot of nutrition science. I also share that interest and it would go beyond the kind of gentle nutrition, which is very basic and appropriate if someone just wants general guidelines. But I'm really interested in how food can promote optimal physical health, mental health, and there's so much emerging research and science. That's an exciting area for me to kind of take on board as part of my eating. Yeah, so good. Yeah, you guys are talking, you're hitting on the nutrition science component, which obviously I love, but this hit me so hard. Gosh, I think I'd been a dietitian for just a couple of years and I was deep in my intuitive eating and I said something to my husband to the effect of, you know, I, everybody should just eat intuitively. It's so easy. And I was a little arrogant in my in my ways. And he just looked at me, he said, your intuitive eating is so different than others. And I said, how so? And he said, you're a dietitian. You, you have education. Tons of education, yes. And I, it really, that I think that's when I started to incorporate the power of nutrition science and nutrition knowledge and understanding. And when we look at that through curiosity, not rules or rigidity, it can be incredibly powerful. So I, I'm with you guys. I think I eat pretty intuitively, but also with like the asterisk, that intuition comes with a degree and a master's degree in nutrition. So I don't feel like that's fair really for me to say, right? That's a very good point. It's that it's going to look maybe different for different people, mm -hmm. right? And that it, this is bit, one of the biggest criticisms actually of intuitive eating is how do you standardize it for people? Yeah, yeah. You know, you, it's really kind of almost like this um, ethereal, beautiful theory of what to do, and but how do you really teach it? I, mm -hmm. I think that's where it gets a little bit nebulous. Yeah, so I want to shift over onto some of the resources we have. So I've really shifted over to this empowered eating model, and that is the model I operate in now, which overlaps values. Like that's the first layer of work we do where we identify what values the person wants to hold. We set health goals and definitions around those values. And really my job as an accountability coach in that is continually pointing them back to that values as their compass, as their nutritional compass, as I call it. And from there, then we layer on biofeedback and nutrition science. And we put those three together to become an empowered eater. And so that's the approach I've taken. I think it has helped people kind of move beyond this idea of just eating intuitively. Like when I'm hungry and stopping when I'm full, but actually incorporating our cognition and our mind. So that's the role I've taken. I know you guys are working on some cool stuff too. Do you mind sharing some of those resources? Chris and I have um, yeah, you created a YouTube channel. It's called Mental Health Break. And so far, really what we've been talking about, even though the idea was is to talk about all kinds of psychological issues, so far we've mostly been talking about body image and intuitive eating and issues with food and and issues with weight loss and, and, and all of these things. And so we'd love to have people come visit our YouTube channel and give us some feedback. We'd love to know more what they think. And also to stay tuned because we're going to be talking a lot more about integrating, of course, these different pieces of you know knowledge and intuition and all of these great things we've been talking about this you know, last hour or so. Right. Yeah, this won't be the end of the discussion. I can guarantee that there will be more resources coming. We will link all of that which we've talked about today in the show notes. So you can find the mental health break down in the show notes. You can also find more about the Empowered Eating Method. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to this conversation. I would love to know what you guys have to say. This is a topic that is 
highly discussed, but it's also really personal. So if you have a story or you have something you would like to share, please shoot me a message. You guys can find me over at Instagram at JasBrownRD. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you have a beautiful day. Cheers and happy eating. Gosh, I'm so glad you joined me today. If today encouraged you, would you take a minute and encourage me by leaving a review for the show? I read every single one of these reviews and your words, they mean so much to me. This podcast is here to support you weekly, but it only scratches the surface. To learn more on how you can become an empowered eater, snag my free workshop, how to eat intuitively and hit your goals without obsessing over food at jessbrownrd.com. Don't forget to join me right here next Monday where I cannot wait to fuel your awesome. Cheers, my sweet friend, and happy eating. Thank you.